If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4, we will pick up where we left off last week. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the apostle writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its truth on our hearts this morning. What attributes... What attribute do many false teachers have in common in our day? Well, I would argue one attribute that many false teachers have in common in our day is a desire to turn people's hearts from God's word and to themselves. A desire to direct your attention away from that which is inerrant and God-breathed and direct it onto themselves. It is reported that Jim Jones, the cult leader who led 900 people, including 300 children, to take their own lives by drinking poison, in frustration once threw his Bible to the floor and yelled at his associates, too many people are looking at this instead of looking at me. Self-proclaimed prophet threw a Bible on the floor and said, too many people want to look at their Bible and not enough people want to hear what I have to say. Bethel Church in Redding, California claims that your Bible is not enough. They say, quote, God is bigger than his book, end quote. And then they claim that they themselves have new revelation. They have new thoughts from God. And guess what? You need it. And guess where you're going to get it? From them. Your, Your Bible's not enough. Look at me, is what they would say. Friends, false teachers abound in this world. And they are ready to snatch up the gullible and those who do not know their Bible. And from the beginning of the church, we see false teachers and false teaching throughout the New Testament. Often when people say that clinging to sound doctrine is not important, I often say, have you read the New Testament? 
because many of the letters that we studied, to include this one, were birthed out of theological error, error about God. So friends, do we neglect God's word for the dreams and visions of men? Do we refuse to discern false from true? As the church, is it unloving to hold to a firm doctrinal stance when it comes to God? Can we disagree on who Christ is and still have fellowship? Friend, every single one of us is called to assess teachers and teaching and follow only that which is from God. Not to look for new doctrines but to stick with that which has been given to us in God's Word. Before we even look at our passage this morning, the Bible says things like, fight for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. The Bible says, anyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, 2 John 9. The Bible says pastors are to give instruction in sound doctrine, Titus 1.9, that the church is to continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, 2 Timothy 3.14. And what you have learned and what you have received, practice these things, Philippians 4.9. Friends, the church is not to look for new revelation, but to cling, white-knuckle cling to the timeless truth which we've already received. Cling to these. That's what the Bible says. And John provides the church with three timeless statements regarding the teaching and teachers from God. First, Christians are called to test the spirits to discern if they are truly from God. Second, those who overcome the Antichrist are from God. And third, whoever follows apostolic teaching is from God. Remember, John is writing to the church after false teachers have confused the church. These false teachers have come in and they have muddied the waters and then rolled out. And he reminds the church of the basics, of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. These false teachers, as we'll see today, have denied the incarnation. These false teachers have stated that one can have assurance of faith while continuing to walk in sin. And John takes this corrupt doctrine to task. John calls it out for what it is. And then John corrects and he guides the church. But not only that church, the church of every age. All of us learn from this timeless truth. Last week we read that we can have assurance of faith if we keep God's command, if we believe in the true Christ and we love the church. We read that by doing these things, we know that God abides in us and us in God. That all believers have the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's no second-class Christians that do not have the Spirit. And those who do not have the Spirit are not indeed Christians. John's words are inspired, they are timeless, and they are relevant for us today. And so the first thing we see is that Christians are called to test the spirits to discern if they are from God. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. <coughs> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many, for many false prophets 
have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. He doesn't say there's a few roaming around, but many. They abound. They are throughout our culture. And Peter writes in his second letter, I didn't say that wrong, I'm, I'm skipping to Peter now. Peter says in his second letter that there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master. The way of truth will be blasphemed, and they will exploit you with false words. 2 Peter 2.1 Jesus tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Matthew 7.15 So what we learn in these three passages, in, here in 1 John and in 2 Peter, and from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, is that the church will continually be plagued with false teachers until Christ comes back. This is just a reality for us. And those, there will be those who pretend to be from God, but are actually wolves in disguise. And they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They will deny the master. They will blaspheme the gospel. They will exploit the bride of Christ. And we will know them by their fruit. Their bad fruit. Or their lack of of fruit. And our, as Christians, we should watch the lives of those who teach and ask ourselves, are they bearing fruit in keeping with God's Word? Are they submitting to God's Word? Are they teaching God's Word? Because many wolves and many cults are clamoring for our attention. Christians are to test the spirits to see if they're from God. We are not called to be gullible people. God has given us his book. He has given us his word. We are called to know it. We are not called to casually accept all teaching that claims to be from God, but we are called to examine every teaching and every teacher to see if they are true. It must be tested. True faith understands that before anything can be trusted, it must be evaluated against our rule of faith. And what is our rule of faith? The Bible. The Scriptures. Because as one commentator said, behind every preacher is a spirit. And behind every spirit is either God or the devil. So they must be tested. And how do we test the spirits? Well, I think of the Bereans in Acts 17. What did they do? Paul comes, and Paul is teaching that Jesus is the Christ, and they just said, yeah, sounds good to me, Paul. No, what did they do? They pulled out their scrolls. They pulled out their Old Testaments. They pulled out their prophets, and they examined them to see if it was true. And Paul says that they were more noble than others because they examined God's Word to see if what he was saying was true. The Bible has been referred to as the canon of Scripture. That's a helpful label. 
Because it comes, the word canon comes from a Greek word. And this Greek word means the rule, the standard, the measuring stick. The Bible is our measuring stick by which we test all teachers, all teachings, all doctrines, and all spirits. It is our rule of faith, the standard. Peter wrote that no biblical writer ever wrote according to his personal will, but rather these men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Second Peter. So the Holy Spirit himself will not contradict himself. God's word is breathed out by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God does not change, so God's word does not change. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to contradict what he has already given to the church. As John Owen once said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that if you come up with a new revelation and it matches Scripture, it's unneeded. And if you come up with a new revelation and it contradicts Scripture, then it is false. So when someone comes to you, that televangelist, that person on the podcast, that person who has great songs in his church, and he says, I got a new revelation, and don't worry about the Bible says, friends, you should rightly label it baloney. The scriptures also testify that Jesus is fully God. John says, a spirit that does not confess the incarnation is not from God. John teaches that those who deny the incarnation are outside of the Christian faith. Look at verse 2. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has, what, been created? No, what does it say? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The incarnation is that the eternal Son of God, who is uncreated, He is eternal both ways. He always has been and always will be. He came to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, and walked among us. In the first chapter of Matthew, Matthew makes this very clear. He says his name is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Not God came, stopped being God for a little while, and now he's God again, but God with us. In his work on the incarnation, Athanasius wrote in the fourth century, So a really long time ago, in the 300s, he wrote this. For what human being that ever existed formed a body for himself out of a virgin? Or what human being has ever healed such diseases as as the common Lord of all? Or who restores what is lacking to creation or makes one who is blind to see? Who banishes sickness and demons and death itself from human beings? At the death of which human being was the sun darkened and the earth shaken? What other human has resurrected by his own power? Or why, if Christ is merely a man and not God as they hold, is his worship not prevented? Friends, when do we worship anything, any being that is not God? Anytime that anyone worships anything that is not God in the Bible, it is never good or ends well for them. And yet, as, as Alan has said this morning, they were worshiping Jesus, and they told him to stop. And he said, if they do not worship me, the, the rocks will cry out. 
Read Revelations 4 and 5 where we see the lamb who was slain being worshipped as God. Friends, the scriptures are clear. Jesus Christ is fully, truly God in the flesh. Jesus Christ came to earth. He was not made. He did not start 2,000 years ago, but he has always existed. And he came to earth and walked among us the life that we could never walk. And then he was nailed to a Roman cross and bore my sin. He drank the cup of wrath that I deserve and the cup of wrath that you deserve because we are all born dead in sin. That's what the scripture says. It doesn't say people are basically good, but we are all naturally rebels against a holy and a just God. And as Clay read this morning, our God is always victorious. And the only way that you can have peace with God, that you can make peace with God, is to throw yourself at the cross of Christ, at the foot of the cross, and submit to this Jesus. Because you cannot win in a battle with God. Surrender now. Because he has conquered death. He was nailed to that cross and he was laid in a tomb. And as we're going to celebrate next Sunday, that tomb is empty. And he rose from the dead. And he ascended to the Father's right hand where he now sits, fully God and fully man. We have a human advocate with this holy Father being fully God. Friends, we believe in the Trinity here. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. If you have not repented and believed in this Jesus, today, throw yourself at the foot of the cross. And the fact that Jesus is fully God is why we must reject those who claim that Christ stopped being God. That is why we must reject Bill Johnson of Bethel's teaching that Jesus laid aside his divinity so that Bill Johnson can now do all the miracles of Jesus. Friends, if you don't know this already, the gospel is not about you. It's about a holy God. It's not about me and me being able to do things. It's about that I can't do anything and I need the one who can. And John says, no one who denies the incarnation is from God. The second thing we see in today's text is that those who overcome the Antichrist are from God. Look with me at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, them being the Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Many antichrists have gone out into the world. Many false teachers have gone out into the world, but those who are true believers, those who have the indwelling spirit, have overcome them and are not led astray. True believers have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and and God is greater than the world. As we read last week, the one who keeps God's commands abides in God, and God abides in him. And, this is, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. As Paul says, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. All true believers receive the Spirit and are indwelt by them, him, it, their initial conversion. And this indwelling or abiding of God in the believer is the Christian's ultimate protection against false teaching. When Sarah and I were newer Christians, we were, we were walking in our faith, and um, we, we liked a band. It's still not a horrible band. I wouldn't sing their songs at church, 
um, but they're just kind of squishy. But we liked this band, this Christian band. And so we drove, uh, mother-in-law came down, watched the kids, and we drove up to Nebraska to, to go to their concert. And the band played fine, and the, the, the music was good. But then they had this intermission where this ministry came in to raise money for orphans, which is not a bad, bad thing. But their delivery, there was just something not right about it. And Sarah and I were not far enough along in our faith to know exactly what it was, but it just didn't, it didn't seem right. And we knew there was something not right, and both of us felt it and knew there was something not right. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize anything, but there, I think that was the Holy Spirit's protection. And, and years later, we see that it was a prosperity gospel presentation to raise money. Friends, if you're a true believer, the ultimate protection, it does not negate you knowing your Bible, is the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will lead us to the teaching of the apostles. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, being the Antichrist. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So when we look at this verse, the we here is the apostles, I believe. It is not, it is not Alan McElroy. It is, it is the we are the apostles, those who are commissioned by God to write this New Testament. And the, the, the they are the false teachers, the ones who are gone out into the world to lead God's people astray. And those from the world, the they, they speak for the world. And guess what? The world listens to them. We should not be surprised when the world hates us, John says, but we should also not be surprised when the world affirms its own unbiblical teaching. Those who are still held captive to the spirit of the age, those who are still held captive to their own sin and their, their own stony hearts, those who do not have a heart of flesh, they suppress and they reject the truth and they clamor after more and more worldly wisdom. They follow teaching that does not conform to God's word. Those from the world speak for the world and the world listens to them. But those who belong to God those who have that heart of flesh, they follow the teaching of the apostles. The Holy Spirit testifies to the unchanging gospel tradition that is laid down in God's word written by the human authors, the apostles. And the Holy Spirit carried the apostles along as they wrote the New Testament. And all of the scripture is spirated out by God himself through the human authors. So when we say, did God write Romans? We can say yes. And when we say, did Paul write Romans? We can say yes. Because God wrote the scripture through the human author, Paul. When the church gathered the New Testament, there were criteria for which books were included. They didn't just sit down and say, well, I like this book, so we're going to put it in the New Testament. And I like this book, so we're going to put it in the New Testament. I don't like that. What they did was they had criteria, and two of the non-negotiable standards for inclusion in the New Testament canon were this. The book was either authored by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle. For instance, 
Mark was not an apostle, but he was with Peter. And so Mark has often been called the gospel according to Peter, written down by Mark. Second, every book had to be from the apostolic age, from the days of the apostles' ministry, and the churches had to affirm it from that early time. And so a second century document may be fully orthodox, but because it was not from the time of the apostles and it did not have a connection with an apostle, it was not included in the canon. So when the Discovery Channel pops up with these crazy things, you can trust the Bible that you have. They did not make the canon. They affirmed the canon. They affirmed the books and the texts that had been accepted from the days of the apostles. And since the founding of the church, every teacher and every preacher and every Christian church has been and still is subordinate to the teaching of the apostles. That means that everything I say had better come from God's word and be reflected in it. Whoever does not follow the biblical or the apostolic teaching is not from God. Look at verse 6. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So how do we test the spirits? Does it conform with God's word? Does it conform with that which has already been delivered to the church? Because true teaching will conform with God's word. The Holy Spirit testifies to the unchanging gospel tradition laid down by the apostles in the New Testament. As Jesus prayed, John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Christian, you are called to assess the teachers and teaching and follow only that which is from God. First, Christians are to test the spirits to discern if they are from God. Second, those who overcome the Antichrist are from God. And third, whoever follows apostolic teaching is from God. This is John's warning to the church the church of every age. This morning, I would like to lay before you five trustworthy guides to ensure that you are following sound teaching. First, as you might already expect, know God's word and test everything according to it. It is the only way, the best way, and and some might say the primary way in which you are going to know the truth. Get in your Bible. Spurgeon once said, you may visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Have a Bible reading plan. Christian, you need to systematically read through God's word to be built up in your faith and have the ability to discern that which is right and that which is wrong. If you don't have a Bible reading plan on the way out, I would recommend to you in the back in the bookstall, we have a pamphlet you can pick up. And it has checkboxes for you can go through and read the Bible in a year. Grab one of these. If you don't like that, have some sort of plan. And no lucky dipping. Some of you have been here a while know I beat this horse. Do you know what lucky dipping is? Some of you may not. Lucky dipping is when you wake up in the morning and go, all right, this is God's word for me today. And you read a verse and go, oh, okay. No, we don't do that. It may feel very pious, but you will not be built up in your faith if that is the way you read the Bible. Second, examine the lives and the words of your teachers, and you will know them by your fruit. Just as you should never trust a faith healer who wears glasses, 
You should not follow pastor elders who do not teach the Bible and, do not, and their lives do not reflect what they teach. That is not to say all pastors are perfect. If you watch me long enough, you will see me fail. You might not have to watch me that long to see me fail. But the question is, is the one I'm following striving to submit himself to God's word? Striving to obey the commands of Scripture. And then you are to examine and you are to filter everything that comes out of my mouth through the Bible. Everything. If I stand up here and I deny the foundational truths of the, of the Christian faith, you have a responsibility, friends, to drag me from this pulpit. You're responsible for what you hear. Galatians 1, even if I or an angel from heaven come and preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. So if I stand up here and deny the Trinity, if I, if I deny the person of work of Christ to include his full divinity, if I deny the authority of the Scriptures, or if I deny justification by faith alone, you are doing me a service. You are loving me by ripping me from this pulpit before I call down more condemnation on myself. Now second, I may violate the Baptist faith and message, in which case you don't have to ride me out on a rail, but it does call a conversation. If I start wanting to baptize babies, it doesn't mean I'm outside the faith, but it does mean I'm outside of the, the, the standard of faith for this church, and so it may be that I need to go somewhere else. Third, we can disagree over non-essential doctrines. We can have a conversation about that, and I like those conversations, but that's not a primary issue. In other words, Paul doesn't say, if anyone preaches to you from a different translation than the one you like, let him be accursed, Right? It doesn't say if they preach to you a different millennium than the one that you convictionally agree with, let him be accursed. So there, there is room for tertiary differences and still not breaking fellowship. But on the essentials, you are responsible for what you hear. And I am responsible. Elders are called to lead and to teach this church. And the church is called to submit and to follow them. But that is only if the elder remains within the once and for all delivered faith. If I stray or any of the elders stray outside the once and for all delivered faith, it's almost like that's now an unlawful order that you are not called to obey. Third, look to our older brothers and sisters of the faith for guidance. History repeats itself. History repeats itself, it seems. I know some would say that's not a Christian idea because there is a beginning and there's an end, but nonetheless... If someone is teaching something new and fresh, there is a good chance it's just an old heresy. The church has been wrestling with all of these things for two millennia. Let me ask you this. If I come up and I say, Jesus was not fully God, and I have really good songs, who would you say I am? You can, you can say. Bethel, right? I could be Bethel. I could also be the Arians from the third century. One of the reasons that their, their, their godless doctrine gained so much ground is they had good songs, and they divided the divinity of Christ. Al Mohler says there are no new heresies, only heresies dressed up and repackaged for a new generation. Friends, councils can err. Pastors can err. But we are not Latter-day Saints. We do not believe we are the only Christians to ever walk the earth. 
We do not believe that we are the first people to read these scriptures. Christ has been building his church for two millennia. For 2,000 years, men and women have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit and writing about these things, and we do well to consider what they have written. All while viewing it through the same lens that you should view this sermon, the Bible. All of that teaching is underneath God's word. Fourth, if you're unsure about a book, a sermon, a podcast, a comment, whatever, talk to the elders of the church. Paul writes to Titus that it is the job of the pastor elders to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So we may not know everything about false teaching. Someone approached me one time about some, a group, I don't remember exactly what they're called, but it sounded a lot like Goonies and wanted to know what I thought about that. And I'm like, these aren't like some rascally kids looking for pirate treasure or something. I had no idea who they were, but I looked them up and now I have some idea of who they are. So we may not know every false teacher out there, but we can look it up and we can help you. It's part of being a shepherd. In fact, it's one of the things that called me into ministry. As I was growing in my own walk, and I was going to churches and seeing that people didn't know about these things, I thought, who's going to teach them? We enjoy it. We love seeing people grow in their faith and know more about God's Word, so reach out to us. It's part of our, we love it. Finally, trust the indwelling Holy Spirit. Every true believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And if you faithfully and prayerfully study God's Word, trust the Spirit to guide you into all truth. We are called to test the spirits. We are called to cling to that which is unchanging, God's word. In the, in the 1390s, a young Czech preacher named John Huss began to preach reforming sermons in Prague's Bethlehem Chapel. He had been studying his Bible. He was influenced by the writings of the Englishman John Wycliffe, and he began to argue that the Holy Scriptures were the sole rule of faith for the church. He declared that Christ, not the Pope, was the leader of the church. And in 1415, Huss was summoned by the Roman church to Constance to stand trial for heresy. And Huss took his stand on the Scriptures. He said, God's word alone God's word alone is the rule of faith of the church. And along with the Bible, he even showed how the early church fathers agreed with his position. But despite making his case from Scripture and church history, Huss was condemned to death. And on July 6, 1415, Huss was led to a stake to be burned alive. Now the name Huss in Czech means goose. And it's reported that he said, just before they, they lit the fire, he said, today... You burn this goose. You roast this goose. But there is coming after me a swan whom you will never burn and you will never roast. And then he died singing psalms. A hundred years later, a young German monk would nail his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, detailing the abuses of the Pope. That action would spark the Protestant Reformation and the fact that Scripture alone is, is what the church is to look to for its rule of faith. The same thing that Huss argued. And that is why even to this day, if you go to many German churches, the lectern will have a swan on them. 
because Luther was seen as the fulfillment of Huss's prophecy. Unlike the followers of Bethel's Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton and the cult leader Jim Jones, who was upset that people looked at their Bibles instead of him, John Huss looked to God's word over the decree of man. What about you? What about you? Christian, you are called to weigh everything through the Holy Scriptures. There are people in our community that want you to follow their word. There are people in our community that have visions of dandelions and yellow submarines and who knows what else. But you are not called to follow that. Our community is under attack. Will you stand with God's word? Men have been burned for it. Women have been burned for it. Children have been burned for it. I don't think we're there yet, but what if your pastor was burned for it? Would you stand? You know, one of my favorite stories of the Reformation is that during these Latin meetings in the church, a man would stand up, at least on one account, a man would stand up and he started preaching the gospel in English, in the vernacular. And they come and they hauled him away to be burned. And as soon as he finished, or as soon as he was out the door, another man would stand up and pick up right where he left, knowing that he was destined for the stake too. Do we have such men and women here? Well, either way, we are called to test the spirits to see if they come from God or if they come from the devil. And we are called to cling to the once and for all delivered faith. Father, may it be that this church would stand for you, that this church would stand on your word, that this church would stand against false teaching. Father, my heart has already been filled to know that there are many here that do, and our meeting downstairs to hear brothers and sisters that want the truth, that stand for the truth, that desire the truth, God, I pray you would, you would make their number multiply. God, I pray that you would encourage them. Father, I pray that you would encourage us all and that we would be salt and light and stand for your word here in Ketchikan, Alaska. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.